Coming up on Stu Does America, I went to the movies. I saw Tenet over the weekend. And, eh, I mean, I don't know, will you enjoy it? Have you ever seen video go in reverse? Because if not, you're gonna be amazed. If you have seen reverse video before, then, eh, I don't know. You know what's better than that, though? Sunny Bunch from The Bulwark talking movies and how about how China ruins basically everything on Earth. Uh, we'll be doing that coming up on the program today. By the way, did you know you can experience this show for free? Just head to YouTube, search my name, Stu, and I'll be the first one there. Go ahead and subscribe and like some or, you know, all of the videos. Even this one right now before you forget or I say something that pisses you off. And we just recently smashed our record for daily podcast listens again. You guys really hate my face, I've noticed. I don't blame you. Just keep leaving those great reviews and the five oh-so-important and appropriate stars on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It helps us spread the message of the show. And don't forget to support the network that supports this ridiculousness I call a program. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. And be sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save ten bucks. Well, the guy who took down Nixon wrote a book about Trump. So we all had better believe every single word despite demonstrable evidence to the contrary. Let's do Bob Woodward. Stu does America. So the media is up in arms about the latest revelations from the Bob Woodward book entitled Rage. There's audio from an interview with the president uh, where he's discovering or discussed, not he didn't discover it at this moment, he discussed COVID-19 back when none of us had ever said flattening the curve before. Remember those days? Oh, the good old days. Here's the first clip. This is from February 7th. You know, it's a very tricky situation. Mm. It's uh, it, it goes is. it goes through air, Bob. That's always goes tougher than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. and That's how it's uh, passed. And so right. that's a very tricky one. That's mm. a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your you know, your, even your strenuous flus. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. Now, no one's going to accuse President Trump of being an epidemiologist here, but he's basically saying two things. Number one, it's worse than the flu. And number two, it's transmitted through respiratory droplets in the air. Both of these are true. But that's not why he's being criticized. The February clip is just a setup for another clip in March. The accusation is that he was downplaying COVID publicly, telling everyone not to worry, that it would be disappearing very soon. It was just a few cases, but in secret, he knew everything. The media is saying that this was some sort of confirmation, I guess. It's a later interview with Woodward on March 19th. Listen. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you, sure, I want you to. I be. wanted to. I, want to be. Uh, I wanted to uh, always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. Ah, okay, there it is. He was playing down the disease, and that's what the Biden campaign wants you to think. And then they never want you to think again. Let's go through this and put it in context. As I mentioned, the playing down quote comes from an interview that took place on March 19th. This was a few days into Trump's 15 days to stop the spread. In other words, he wasn't playing the virus down then. He basically shut the economy down for six weeks. That had just happened. The accusation is, I suppose, 
that he was playing it down in some period between these interviews. The first thing we should acknowledge is that Trump is never precise with his words. We all know this. Blue checks on Twitter love to say there's always a tweet when they dig up a Trump tweet that disagrees with whatever he's saying now. This is not an impressive parlor trick. The truth of the matter is Trump gives all available responses to all available questions. He's a talker and he usually says what he believes will help him in the situation he's currently dealing with. On March 19th, He's just shut down the U.S. economy in the middle of an election. He wants to convey how seriously he's taking it and how bad it might be. You might ask yourself, why would he say he's a guy who likes to downplay the virus? Because in that moment, he's emphasizing how big of a deal it is that he shut down the economy. He's saying, look, I like to downplay this, but I just can't right now because it's so serious. He's not admitting to underselling the virus to the American people. He's saying his instinct is to tell people not to panic. But even he could do that right now because it's so bad. Now, did he say this perfectly? No. Media, allow me to introduce you to Donald Trump. This is what he does. He speaks for dramatic effect. Kim Jong-un is going to be blown off the face of the earth. And we're best friends who we just bought a timeshare together in Branson. If you actually want to judge the Trump administration fairly, you're going to have to do it differently. Judge him on what he does, not what he says. So the accusation would be that Trump was taking the virus lightly before March 15th, despite believing it was a major problem. Well, how do we check this? First, let's try to get a sense as to what the medical community believed at that time. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci on television February 29th. You've got to watch out because although the risk is low now, you don't need to change anything you're doing. When you start to see community spread, this could change and force you to become much more attentive to doing things that would protect you from spread. Now, a lot of people who don't like Fauci use this quote and a few others against him to say he was wrong about the virus. If you read and watch these moments, he's always saying that this could change at any moment. He's not saying there's never going to be a problem, just that it isn't widespread right now. But it gives you a sense of where we were at the end of February. We hadn't documented any real examples of widespread community transmission. So why didn't we know these things much earlier? Dr. Deborah Burks talked about that on The View. I think once this is over, we'll be able to look back and see, did China and the WHO say and do everything to alert the rest of the world to the nuances of this virus? Because when it first explodes, someone had to have known that there was human-to-human transmission. Hmm. You really have to go back and ask yourself, why wasn't there this level of transparency when this virus exploded? I think people would have prepared differently if they had known the level of transmissibility of this virus. Hmm. So if China was honest at the beginning, we probably would have understood and prepared differently. But what does Dr. Fauci say about the accusation now that Trump distorted the COVID threat? He really didn't say anything different than we discussed when we were with him. So I, I'm, I may not be tuned in to the right thing that they're talking about, but I didn't really see any discrepancies between what he told us and what we told him and what he ultimately came out publicly and said. Oh. So did you get a sense that he was or wasn't playing this down? No. No, no, I didn't. Mm. Uh, I didn't get any sense that he was distorting anything. I mean, in my discussions with him, 
they were always straightforward about the, the concerns that we had. We related that to him. And uh, when he would go out, I'd hear him discussing the same sort of things. The problem is the pandemic story that we have going on right now doesn't fit into this political narrative all that neatly. The only thing the media knows how to do is blame Donald Trump for whatever is currently threatening our country. But the nation's top infectious disease experts aren't saying that. The people who were in the room with him at the time aren't saying that. Now, does that mean Trump's response was perfect? No. The pandemic turned out to be worse than basically everybody believed. At times, Trump took early action, as he did with the Chinese travel ban. At times, Trump was pretty dismissive of the threat. At other times, he stressed the seriousness. Again, Trump gives all available answers to all available questions. Judge him by his actions, not his words. In this case, it's more important than ever because Democrats do not want to get into a battle of words over COVID. Trust me. If they do, people might remember that the Democratic head of the New York City Health Committee was tweeting this two days after one of the Woodward interviews. Quote, in powerful show of defiance of coronavirus scare, huge crowds gathering in New York City's Chinatown for ceremony ahead of annual Lunar New Year parade. China, chance of be strong, Wuhan. If you are staying away, you are missing out. Do we have the picture? I mean, look at these pictures. There's just, there's approximately one zillion people and they're all two inches away from each other's faces. Or they might remember that Nancy Pelosi said in late February, weeks after the Woodward interview. We want to be careful about how we deal with it, but we do want to say to people, come to Chinatown, here we are. We're, again, careful, safe, and come join us. (laughs) Come join us. (laughs) Or what Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was saying right around that same time as well. But I want to take a moment to say it's not a time to panic about coronavirus. No, not a time to panic. Or what America's douchiest superhero was saying well into March. We have more people in this country dying from the flu than we have dying from coronavirus. Or Governor Douche even later that month. This is not Ebola. This is not SARS. This is not some science fiction movie come to life. Uh, You know, the hysteria here is way uh, out of line with the actuality and the facts. Oh, that's the guy they're praising. They're saying Trump was downplaying it. Need I remind you that Andrew Cuomo is awful? Dot com. If we keep dredging up old clips that make Democrats and the media look silly, we might just find these, too. You know, since the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, we have seen not only the spreading of the virus, but also a rapid spreading of racism and xenophobia. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia. And simply being... You know, Chinese in a crowded space is something that causes uh, people to part like the Red Sea. Uh, Daring to cough or sneeze causes people to actually shy away from you. There's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. There's a lot of racism and people are not patroning Chinese restaurants. 
Are you patroning restaurants? I always patron restaurants, and so should you. <laughs> I guess you have to give her a break. She's trying a four-syllable word, and she got three of them. Much better than she normally does. The point is, everyone was wrong about the scale of this thing. 87% of people said less than 10,000 people would die. In a poll taken in mid-March, everyone said something that they wish they had back. With the exception, of course, of people on Twitter. They were all right from the beginning. If we had just listened to Twitter more, we could have solved this thing. Now, the media is trying to rewrite history and perform a bit of mental gymnastics that borders on the absurd. I mean, I guess you could argue that Trump should have been telling the American people more. But then you have to also criticize Bob Woodward for not telling everyone back in February. After all, people's lives are on the line. You can't hold back that information to sell a book or... On the other hand, you could say Bob Woodward is fine to release the information in his book, but then you have to say that Trump's comments weren't so urgent and horrific. The media is trying something different. They're trying to convince us that Trump is Satan and Woodward is God. Well, you can't have both. If Trump really was putting lives at risk, then Woodward needed to tell us. If Trump wasn't really putting lives at risk, releasing this in a book is fine. And that's the truth of the situation. Trump made a couple of offhanded comments that generalized information about his COVID response. And there was no need to run and tell us all about it because it wasn't notable then and it's not notable now. What is notable is the question, how on God's green earth Donald Trump thought it was a good idea to give Bob Woodward 18 hours of interviews. Is Trump working for the Biden campaign? Woodward already wrote a fact challenge book bashing Trump just two years ago, and he gets rewarded with 18 hours of interviews in the middle of a pandemic. Who thought this was a good idea? Look, Trump has done a lot of good things, but he thinks he's better at some of the stuff than he really is. He had to cancel his COVID briefings when they went off the rails. He's saying things to Bob freaking Woodward on the record that he had to know would be used against him. And now we have reporting that he's not preparing for his debates with Biden. He sees Biden as so pathetic that he doesn't need to prepare for it. I hope that's not true. Biden has been around for a long time. He's not at the top of his game, obviously, but he's been playing it for a while. Trump better not be taking him lightly because the future of his presidency depends on it. Computer systems in cars are the new normal, uh, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays. I mean, really, it's insane. You have to be a scientist to know this stuff. Luckily, you can't fix any of these things yourself because then your wife would be asking you to actually do work out in the driveway. And it's, you know, at least in Texas, too hot for that. Not to mention, I don't know how to do it. So when something breaks, it could cost a fortune. That's why you need CarShield. CarShield has affordable protection plans that save thousands. Uh, CarShield offers payment uh, flexibility with monthly plans that can be customized to your needs. No long-term contracts or commitments. Choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to work with, and CarShield takes care of the rest. Some of these plans are just like, go to Bob down the street. He's really good. Just He'll fix your car. Uh, we'll, get, and we'll, we'll pay him directly. Don't worry about it. The quality of the work will be guaranteed. 
For low, as low as 99 bucks a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for a covered repair. Call 800-CAR-6000, mention the code Stu, uh, or visit carshield.com and use the code Stu to save 10%. The code Stu is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you get all the deals. That's carshield.com, code Stu. A deductible may apply. Happy uh, to welcome back to the program, Sonny Bunch. He's the culture editor for The Bulwark, as well as the co-host of the Sub Beacon podcast. Uh, Sonny, thanks for coming on the program. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, as a guy who doesn't like communism all that much, I feel like I look at the China story as it relates to the movie industry, and I worry that I'm just embracing a narrative because it agrees with my priors. Is this real? I mean, is the self-censorship of movies to please China real? Uh, Yeah, very much so. There's a very interesting new report from PEN America about how um, the business in general uh, has to watch what it says, more or less. It's not even a strict regime of censorship in the sense of the Chinese government going in and cutting things out and saying, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, though there is that, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a function of self-censorship as much as anything else. So, you know, it's, it's people saying, well, we're just never going to make a movie like this. We're not going to cast Richard Gere in this role or we're not going to, you know, have a Tibetan character in this movie. Um, it's knowing where you can go and where you can't go and uh, what sort of stories you can tell and can't tell. There's a story that just came out about this. Uh, I think it was Axios who did it. And they said uh, they said that the last major release with a uh, Chinese government essentially being the bad guy was seven years in Tibet with Brad Pitt in 1997. I mean, that is yeah. remarkable. I mean, it, first of all, is that true? But second of all, I mean, is it is it is it really how I perceive it is that they just keep making, you know, Germans and Russians the the aggressor in every single movie for this reason? Yeah, well, it's certainly one of the reasons. I mean, there was a there was a big kerfuffle uh, over at MGM a few years back. You may remember that they remade the movie Red Dawn, mm-hmm. um, and the the villains in that movie were supposed to be uh, Chinese. It was supposed to be the Chinese government had decided to invade the uh, west coast of America, and the Chinese government got wind of this and and lost it. Uh, and MGM went went back and got rid of all the Chinese uh, villains. They made them all North Koreans, which makes no sense. You know, <laughs> the idea of the idea of North Korea mounting a full scale invasion of America is uh, a little bit laughable. Uh, but the the uh, but the the yeah, I mean, if you look at the the history of these uh, villainous type roles, right? You you have seven years in Tibet. You have um, uh, what was uh, the uh, I'm blanking on it now. Oh, Red Corner again. We're starring Richard Gere, mm-hmm. uh, which which is a, a, about a, a Chinese uh, a member of the Chinese military who covers up a murder. It's it's corruption and blah blah. And none of that would be none of that would be allowed today. It just it wouldn't it wouldn't fly. None of it would fly. So it's it's definitely a it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, you know, I I I, I watch this stuff happen, and you, you sit back and you say, hey, you know, I am a fan of capitalism. Um, and it seems as if uh, this communist government, we've seen it with the NBA as well, is essentially using the forces of capitalism against capitalism, where we can no longer feel free to do the art that we want to do, to release the films that we want to do because of the sort of capitalist pressure. I, I, I hear this from people all the time where they say the left, you know, we should be boycotting the left all the time because they keep using these rules against us. 
Uh, are we just going to be the perpetual victims here? Uh, you know, what's what's the old Lenin line? The capitalists will sell us the rope to hang them with or something like that. Uh, there, There is an element of that here. But I mean, look, here's here's the real issue. Right. The, the real issue is that uh, Hollywood has long been seen as a tool of American soft power. Right. right. The idea that we can spread our ideas and our, our, our ideals and our uh, goals through the world via our uh, uh, media. Um, and Hollywood has always been pretty happy to play that role because it earns them some prestige at home. And it, it you know, it, it, uh, it sells abroad, frankly, Americanism, pro-American films sell abroad, uh, much better than anti-American films for the most part. You know, it, you can find exceptions on both sides, of course, mm-hmm. but the, but the, but the Chinese want to co-opt that soft power for themselves they can't make movies that interest American audiences. They don't have the talent. They don't have the uh, technical skill. They don't have uh, the stories that Americans want. Uh, you know, Chinese epics are generally pretty ham-fisted and propagandistic, and um, not they just don't appeal to the American uh, audience. I saw part uh, of the Matt but, Damon one that they released a couple of years ago, and <laughs> that proves the your point wall, very well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's one that's actually in theaters now. I think it's called the Eight Hundred or something like that, which is, again, it's a it's a big, giant, $100 million Chinese movie that's filled to the to the to the gills, stuffed to the gills with Chinese uh, Communist Party propaganda. And it, nobody's going to see it. It's averaging 200 bucks a screen or something. Um, nobody nobody in America cares about Chinese product. But but uh, people in America very much care about Hollywood product. And the Chinese government has realized that they can use Hollywood to promote Chinese ideals, to promote Chinese um, actors and and storylines and that sort of thing. And more, but again, more kind of importantly, stop certain storylines from being told altogether. Mm. Um, you have a, a new uh, piece out. It's called The Oscars Diversity Misdirection. And honestly, like I, when I first heard word of this going on, I didn't believe it. I mean, I know they're, they're super woke and they're super left and we understand what Hollywood is. But the fact that they're basically coming out and saying you can't your picture can't be included as a contender for best picture without these certain woke, you know, uh, standards and guidelines is really amazing. Can you walk everybody through this? Yeah. So uh, the American Motion Picture, uh, the, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences released a set of guidelines that said you have to. Uh, check off two of four boxes if you want your film to compete for Best Picture. Um, It was on-screen representation, themes and ideas or some such. Uh, behind behind the scenes representation and you know and I don't know so much. but the idea here the idea here basically is to increase diversity to increase the number uh, of uh, underrepresented faces uh, on the screen or working behind the scenes. Um, there there are two things going on here kind of at the same time. One uh, is that look the these. These requirements will be very, very easy to navigate if you are uh, a making a movie with a big studio, because the big studio can afford to hire paid interns to fill these diversity quotas without putting somebody uh, on screen necessarily, mm-hmm. 
or they can hire, you know, the publicity departments with uh, minority candidates run by women, uh, uh, run by non-straight white guys. You know, they these these are very easy things for the big studios to do. And and one way that you can look at this, as somebody I thought put it very put it very well on on Twitter, which is that it is basically regulatory capture by the uh, the big studios trying to. Um, implement things that will be harder for the smaller studios to do, which will give the big studios a competitive advantage. Mm. Um, it's, 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 it, you know, this is the cynical way of looking at it. Um, <laughs> uh, there's another, there's another slightly more cynical way of looking at it that has to do with China. Look, there was a story, you mentioned that story in Axios China uh, about Hollywood. And when, there's an interesting diversity element here as well, which is that uh, the blockbuster, the big blockbuster style movies uh, have gotten whiter in recent years. Uh, there was a, an academic study that came out in 2017, I think it was, that showed a, that showed the the types of movies that are actively marketed to China and expected to play there have gotten whiter over the years. Um, huh. And we know, or we can surmise, that this is because Chinese audiences are kind of notoriously racist. They don't, they're not huge fans of African-Americans in lead roles, especially in romantic roles. Um, they, they, they do not, they do not care for it. Uh, so you, you, you have the situation where these blockbusters are getting whiter and they're doing the business of China. Um, and at the same time, Hollywood is going to point to these diversity re requirements, these diversity nudges for their uh, Oscar winning movies and say, no, we care. We care about <laughs> diversity. We care. We look at all these things that we're trying to do with these, you know, art house movies and these Oscar winning movies. But yeah, but don't don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain who's, you know, making our big blockbusters wider and less diverse. And, uh, more appealing to the Chinese audience. Uh, it's really amazing that they're trying to pull both of those things off at the same time. I will also say that I did appreciate you giving us the two options of the cynical view and the more cynical view, uh, which yes. I thought was you captured the entire spectrum there. Um, one more before I let you go, uh, Sonny. Um, movies in general here in America. We're, we've opened up some theaters now. I mean, we're not certainly at full capacity. I've been to a few movies now. I went to see Tenet this past weekend. It did okay, I guess, in this environment. What is your, uh, what's your uh, look at, at how Tenet did and, and how we're looking going forward? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Tenet, there are all sorts of calculations that you can make here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the first way is that the 60 to 70 percent of theaters are open, but the theaters in the biggest markets, New York and L.A., are not. Uh, uh, Seattle's still closed. Portland's still closed. San Francisco's still closed. I think San Diego is finally opening up. Um, but the, the the simple fact of the matter is that many, many of the large, more expensive uh, revenue driving markets are still closed. And all the rest of the, the markets that are open are opening at 30 to 50 percent. So if you look at what Tenet did this weekend, Tenet did about $20 million. It made about $7,200 per screen, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that's about half of what uh, Dunkirk and Interstellar made per screen. Okay. Uh, if you So in theory, right, if theaters are operating at 50% capacity and these movies are earning about half as – and this movie is earning about half as much per screen, you could say, well, it's doing as well as Dunkirk – or interstellar if you're grading on a curve. The simple fact of the matter is I think that audiences are still hesitant to go. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, it's, 
it's hard to say. Um, it's hard to blame people for not wanting to go and sit in the theater necessarily for you know two and a half hours while uh, people are sitting there munching on their popcorn or whatever. Uh, I don't. I. I don't, I don't have a problem with people staying away. Um, but, uh, it's, it's bad for theaters right now. And I, I, I don't know that it's going to get much better. Yeah. I mean, I remember back in March or April when you were on and you said, we may come out the other side of this, losing some of these big movie theater companies. I haven't seen that yet, but I mean, this is just the very beginning of this very long process. Sonny Bunch, uh, culture editor for The Bulwark. Make sure you go read his piece. Uh, It's really interesting. Uh, The Oscars, Diversity, Misdirection. Uh, He also co-hosts the Sub Beacon podcast. Sonny, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. All right. Back in a second. It's impossible to jam everything in today. I will say, tonight, football is back. I don't care about the politics. I'll close my eyes, and I'll blah, 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 as they talk about whatever social justice message they have. That's fine. But I'm going to go from there. I'm going to watch my football. It's going to be nice to see it. All right, uh, stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance. See about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have with Gabby Insurance. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance advise, uh, providers. All you got to do, link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. It's not trying to you know, some weird comparison. It's straight up, just go for it. It's totally free. Check your rate. There's no obligation. It takes just a few minutes. Right now, you can stop overpaying for your car and home insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash stew, G-A-B-I dot com slash stew. Be sure to use the slash stew part because that's how they know you like this stupid show. I've used this myself. I've gone through this process. It's really easy. And it'll either give you a discount or it's going to tell you you've got a great rate already. Either one. Good news. Gabby.com slash stew. I'm joined now by the person who makes sure I stay alive, uh, despite my shenanigans. It's Lisa Page, my lovely wife, and the purveyor of the Instagram page that you should, of course, follow. Lisa Page made me do it. LP, welcome. Hi. Hi. I I brought you in today because you had a a little, um, a notable expedition. And uh, I would say it was at Target, which is not notable at all because you're there 14 times a day. Of course. Uh, But this one was notable because you went into the book section. And what did no, you No, we find? weren't even in the book section. Oh, you weren't in the book we section? Were, my friend Brittany and I were just perusing, mm-hmm. and we hadn't even walked into the book section. It was actually an aisle cap. Oh, my gosh. Right before you get into... Why would I go to the book section? <laughs> I didn't mean to insinuate that. I, I just mean, had to say... Because uh, I, I, this, so this wasn't even in the book section. It was just on the... Well, it was on aisle. with... It was on the aisle end cap yeah. where all the books are, right? Yeah. Like the new, you know, yeah. just out, just released books. The new shiny thing. The new shiny thing. Um, and so as we were walking, Brittany's like, oh, my gosh. And we stopped in our tracks. Yes. And right there was when we saw... The book. The garbage. The book, book is called um, is it Anti-Racist Baby is the name of it. I, I lost the yeah. title. I don't have it on here. Um, Anti-Racist B- Baby. Now, this is here it is. Here's the cover. Uh, Ibram Kendi is the author. If you know Ibram Kendi, we'll get to who he is here in just a second. But, you know, an anti- you know the difference here. And we've been talking a lot on the show about this. The difference between racism as we understood it growing up. You don't judge a person by the color of their skin. You judge it by the content of the character. Um, that's the that's the right thing to do. Anti-racism versus racism is something totally different. They've redefined this word completely. And I want to go through this book with you because this this had to be shocking to you as a mom, right? Yes. I mean, we stopped and you know me, I had to pull out my camera. I did a whole story on it. 
of course, comment, commentating. Yes, you had to do a play-by-play. I had to. Well, this is something we've talked about off the air a, a, a lot, because uh, we do have conversations off the air as husband <laughs> and wife. Sometimes. Occasionally. And um, it, it's interesting because it's teaching kids about racism earlier and earlier and earlier. We learned about it as we grew up, but like the the idea was to make sure you don't do those things. Right. Now it's like, well, you're a baby and you're already a racist. Well, yeah. And also this this book isn't even for like six and seven year olds. It's totally directed to babies like every picture in the book is is not even a toddler. Yeah, it's just it's a baby. It's a it's a nine month old baby. What is it, the baby Bjorn? It's like they're like the, the, the people are walking around teaching kids racism and they're baby Bjorn. Oh, if I was Bjorn, baby Bjorn, I would be shocked and appalled that yeah. they would even put something on. And like that's on the cover of the book. Yeah, right? let's look at look at some of the pictures here. I want to walk you through some of this here. This is from the book Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram Kendi. We'll get into Ibram here in a minute. Can we do number one here? Uh, okay, this says, uh, open up your eyes to all skin colors. Anti-racist baby learns all the colors, not because race is true. If you claim, this is a weird, I don't even know what that means. If you claim to be colorblind, you deny what's right in front of you. I mean, that used to be the goal. It was the goal yeah. of Martin Luther right. King. Like this book is basically saying, well, if you come across a black person, make sure that you judge them accordingly. Yeah, it's, it, it's, that, that's what's so crazy about this. I really do think it is the opposite of, of what they're trying to purvey. They're bringing back racism uh, from the dead. Right. Yeah. They, they want to resurrect it right, as, yeah. as a thing that people do, because judging people and, and everyone sees color. Of course, you notice it. Yeah. But you're not like to judge pers- people and, and make assumptions yeah. and treat them yeah. differently based on the color skin used to be the thing we were supposed to avoid. This is the entire book, though. Yeah. The whole book is geared towards just, you know, simply the color of somebody's skin. Yeah. Look how bad this is. This is the next one. Uh, point of policies has the problem, not people. Some people get more while others get less because policies don't have always grant equal access. If you see here, this sad, uh, dark-skinned child, this baby, mm-hmm. is pointing at the butterfly, wants to hang out with the butterfly. Right. What, a, what an adorable thing, except the evil white hand yeah. has a net and is stealing all the butterflies How dare? Himself. How dare that person kill the butterfly? That is teaching racism. You are, are, is that not? Yeah. If, if you have a baby, and we, you know, we raised a couple of them, if you try to teach a kid hey, these people are the bad guys and these people are the good guys, that's something they pick up over time. You are teaching that the white people in this story are the bad guys. And we talk about this all the time, like in our kitchen, after our children go to bed, mm-hmm. our white children. <laughs> I, I, we, and we, we apologize for that. We did have white children. We didn't know they were going to come We were out so white. sorry. It's our bad. But, you know, our kids have many black friends. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. Our kids have been taught at their school that like, actually uh, color hasn't even come up at their school. Like our daughter, ha- one of her very good friends yeah. is black mm-hmm. and she has never once said, Oh, I want to go play with my black friend. No, like they don't look at skin color as something bad or, yeah. but if you give Ainsley this book and say, read it. Yeah. I notice mean, color, notice color, notice color. Yeah. Notice yeah, color. yeah you're pointing it out. They're going to notice and all color. of a sudden they're going to be like, Oh wow. Yeah. They're not peach skinned like us. Yeah. We talked about this, um, I think I mentioned it on the show, a story of uh, Ainsley going to camp. Yes. And, and she had a little, a little boyfriend. Yeah, of. it was really cute. It was so the first boy who had a crush on her. So she came home 
after camp one day over the summer, yes, we did send the kids to camp mm-hmm. with other kids. <laughs> I know, in crazy. In the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But she came back home and she said, I, found, I met this friend. His name is Bryson. He's so nice. He told me he liked my hair. Nothing about his skin color. The only yeah. reason I knew that he was this adorable little black boy was... I dropped her off the next morning and he was, his dad had dropped him off and their car was in front of mine and he got out and Ainsley got out and she's like, Bryson! And they ran into camp together. Yeah. But it, she I mean, did not she, mention at all one time. Yeah, that she had her, gone to the point of describing this kid to us yes. several different times yep. and never once even cited the his color of his skin, color, which yeah. is, I think, a parent's dream, right? Yeah. Like, at least until last week. Yeah, until yeah. Until Ibram Kendi came around. What a donkey. (laughs) You know, the only regret I have with that book at Target that we found was that I didn't flip it or hide it or take the two books and shove them somewhere else. Like, you know, because I think a lot of people might look at this and say, hey, like, I don't like racism, obviously. I mean, it's like a lot of people in Black Lives Matter. They say, "Okay, well, I don't. Well, of course, Black Lives Matter. I'm totally. Yeah, I'll totally march with you. I want to defend your life. Yeah. There's just an underlying thing here. And Kendi is part of this. Let me give you a couple more pieces of this here real quick before we uh, before we move on. Um, Confess when being racist. Nothing disrupt racism more than we confess the racist ideas that we sometimes express. Again, this is constantly begging to cite race as a dividing factor over and over again in life. Um, And lastly, uh, anti-racist baby is bred, not born. Anti-racist baby is raised to make society transform. Celebrate all of our differences. Again, I thought we were supposed to come together. I thought it was a melting pot. Also, where was this book six months ago? Yeah. Where where was this book a year ago? Why why now? Oh, it's a great point. And I think this is where Ibram Kendi comes in, because here's a guy who... He was doing this stuff. It just wasn't getting marketed to kids at Target six right. months like, ago. Like, I did not even know who this guy was yeah. until I messaged you. And I'm like, look at this crap oh. that I see. And even more disappointing is that it's at Target. Like, You're a big Target fan. I mean, you know I'm a big Target fan. You're actually listed in their financial reports. <laughs> <laughs> I am their number one red card holder. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, um, if I see that book again, I will absolutely hide it and bury it somewhere where no one will find it. Not even the sales associates. I, I, I keep bringing up this quote from Ibram Kendi. This is him when he's not talking in, with cartoons. This is what he actually says. This is a real quote from him. As Ibram Kendi puts it, if discrimination is creating equity, then it is anti-racist. If discrimination is creating inequity, then it is racist. Next part. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. As you see, he is actually advocating for discrimination, and he's quite clear in the book, against white people. Yeah. And we're let it. We're Target yeah. is carrying a book yeah. that is preaching this to babies. Yes, and they have it in their like featured aisle cap. That's unbelievable, disgraceful. Though I, I guess I should not be surprised, right? Uh, when I look today and I go on Twitter and all I see is twerking eleven-year-olds, oh. which made me not only abandon oh uh, Netflix but also Twitter because I can't look. I, I appreciate that there's a lot of people who are posting this video of this movie Cuties. Um, and showing all these these little eleven year olds uh, doing their uh, it should be called stri- cuties with booties. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's really what it is. It's it, like it a striptease is. dance, yeah, basically. It's gross. Um, there's reports that there actually is nudity in it of eleven year olds. Cool. Um, but everyone who's trying to call it out keeps posting it, and I can't I, I can't participate in the website. Well, I showed you this morning. Yeah. Someone took the Netflix preview mm-hmm. and put. Cardi B's WAP to it. Oh, jeez. So that was dirty before, but then you watch this, and it's it's Ugh. awful. 
So, someone's going to put Ben Shapiro's version. Here. It's going to get really <laughs> Yeah, weird. That, that's actually great. But like, I, what I thought, thought was interesting, and I know we watched a little bit of this uh, last night, uh, Glenn's special. He, he did this last night. Um, people are freaking out over Netflix, and rightly so, mm-hmm. right? But this is a streaming entertainment service from Hollywood. We don't expect morals to come from there. Right. But at the same time, many of these same types of things are being taught in our schools, and pe- people don't even pay attention because it's public school and th- people just want to tune out. Yeah. Now, I, like we we very much uh, cherish our private school uh, situations, not for everybody, obviously. But like that is, I think, more important than ever, whether it's private school, whether it's homeschooling, right. whether it's pod learning. I mean, we, you, you talk to moms all the time that are doing these different things. Yeah, I have a bunch of moms that are doing the pod thing. And, you know, I mean, it's OK. Uh, one of our good friends. Mm-hmm. She decided to do the homeschooling thing just because she wasn't sure how this corona thing was going to, you know, pan out. And two days into actual school, her girls are begging to go back to school. Like, you know. I I don't think kids are going to love it, right? Kids don't want to go to school until you tell them they can't go to school. Right, right. right. But what I was going to say, going back to the what Glenn's special was about last night and all this pedophilia. And Mm -hmm. I mean, also. We're talking about sex trafficking. We're talking about this uh, era of Me Too. And then you have this Netflix show that's coming out with a bunch of six-year-olds bumping and grinding on each other. And if you're a mother and you think this is... If you are a mother and you're putting your kid in something like this, this kind of situation with the dance moves, then... You're a bad mom. I can tell you this. That Netflix thing is how the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village, got started. Because all those parents were like, no, I'm not saying it. All know. these parents were saying, like, screw it. I'm going into the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting rid of electricity. We're never coming out we're again. We're at that, yeah. That, that is, like, what I feel like right now. I don't know what the hell to do with our kids. Well, I know, but here's the thing. If you are not watching yeah. people like you and, and, and Glenn and Prather and Crowder, yeah. like, conservative people, conservative... You don't even you, know it. You don't know. My friends... Like my mom, I told her last night about it. She's like, what? I don't think people are even aware that this is actually happening or going to happen unless you are paying attention to not CNN. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that this one, at least with Netflix, is so bad that maybe the media will. Yeah, because it could be the media might actually step up on this one. This one. I mean, if we can't draw a line at 11 year olds. Oh, my gosh. Younger. I will say this. Um, if you are looking for an, an investigative reporter who will find all the hidden things in Target, I have the, the king <laughs> of that industry right here, the Lisa king, Page. The queen, queen that's sorry. sexist. Sorry, that's right. I, I just gender misidentified her. <laughs> uh, the Instagram account is Lisa Page Made Me Do It. I would love for you to subscribe there, largely because you'll get all sorts of fantastic conservative information. I mean, amazing content. Tips, and also probably uh, pictures of me that I don't know that are occurring. Uh, go there now. Lisa Page Made Me Do It on Instagram. Lisa, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. I'll see you in a few. Oh, no problem. Oh, yeah. A few hours. A few hours. See you at home. Back in a second. Buying a home is difficult. In fact, we've bought a couple homes uh, together over the years. Seven. Well, we've moved seven times. Some of them have been. Yeah. Most of them have been rentals. rentals. (laughs) But when you buy a home, we know it's it's, it's a difficult situation. And you've got to have a good real estate agent. We've been lucky. We've had good real estate agents over the years. But I know Glenn, but you remember this when Glenn was going through this in New York? Um, he was, try- I think it was New York, no, Connecticut. He was trying to sell his home and was having a disastrous run of this. 
And I remember him coming in and complaining about it constantly. And he just said one day, I need someone needs to come up with a system to make sure you can find the best real estate agents. And then he developed realestateagentsitrust.com. That's actually how it happened. And now realestateagentsitrust.com is nationwide. Thousands and thousands of people are, are, are in it. Uh, I know it's, you know, I can't tell you how many people we've talked to from our audience that have participated in this and had a great experience. You know, most of the people who are on this are fans of the show. So they kind of get you. They're going to get where you're coming from. Um, probably not going to, you know, uh, have the movie Cuties on on the DVD player Hopefully in the car. Not, <laughs> uh, not going to be taking you through a BLM protest for a quick aside <laughs> on your way to go see a house. Uh, realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go uh, to get the best real estate agent in your area, whether you're buying or selling. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. With all the craziness of the last six months, I'm glad football is back. And if you don't like it, if you don't agree, you're just a racist. Remember that. We'll see you tomorrow.